The scripture reading today is from the letter of Paul to the Romans, chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Some believe in eating anything, while the weak eat only vegetables. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain, and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat, for God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall, and they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Some judge one day to be better than another, while others judge all days to be alike. Let all be fully convinced in their own minds. Those who observe the day, observe it in honor of the Lord. Also those who eat, eat in honor of the Lord, since they give thanks to God. While those who abstain, abstain in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. We do not live to ourselves, and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me continue reading some verses from Romans and then from the Gospel of Matthew and of John. In the immediate passage after the one we read, we read in verses 12 and 13, each of us will be accountable to God, so let us therefore no longer pass judgment on one another. And at verse 22 of Romans 14, the faith that you have, has as you have as your own conviction before God. Blessed are those who have no reason to condemn themselves because of what they approve. But those who have doubts are condemned if they eat because they do not act from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And then in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7 and at verse 1, Jesus is speaking and he says, Do not judge, so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye, while there is a log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. And then at verse 24 of John chapter 7, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow before God in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God, we bow before you. Fill us with amazement that you should notice us, that you should know us by name, and that you should speak to us in Holy Scripture and through our Lord Jesus. Help us to have ears to hear and hearts to love you and feet and hands that are swift to follow for the sake of Jesus Christ, who lived and died and rose again for us. In his name we pray. Amen. 
So we've been following a series of sermons in which we've been looking at Paul's letter to the church in Rome, one of the great letters that we have in the pages of our New Testament, and we have just a couple of weeks to go in our series. In the past few weeks, we've been looking together at three long chapters, chapters 9 through 11, not in huge detail, but trying to get a summary of those chapters, which focus on the difficult relationship between the church of Jesus Christ and God's ancient people, Israel. Before we move on to the passage we read a moment or two ago in Romans 14, I want to give a couple of reminders about what I said then as a sort of a lead-in to what I want us to think about today. I want to give us a couple of reminders and to say one new thing about Israel, and to do this especially in the light of the turmoil and the suffering in the Middle East in recent days. So the two reminders are these. This is what I've said in the last few weeks. The present existence of the state of Israel is quite remarkable. God is at work in there somehow, but what Paul would say in Romans 9 through 11 is, we just can't quite figure it out. He couldn't. The Scripture says we can't. We can't quite figure it out, but God is at work. And that's true for all kinds of things in life in which there's a bit of a mystery, but God at work in ways beyond our knowing. The second thing is this, that biblically speaking, there is no necessary connection between the present state, the modern state of Israel, and ancient Israel, biblically speaking. But not only that, but if you look it up, you'll find that many Orthodox Jews today, and indeed some of those who live in Israel, don't believe that the modern state is equivalent to the ancient people of Israel because the ancient people of Israel comprised a theocracy. God was their king, and the modern state is avowedly secular avowedly secular. Indeed, atheism is rampant in Israel, and many people don't realize that at all. So we cannot say there's just this one-to-one -one correspondence. Got to work, don't quite know how, but we simply cannot say there's a one-to-one -one correspondence. Those are among the things we've looked at in recent weeks. But third, and what I haven't mentioned explicitly before, but I need to mention briefly because it not only ties into what's happening now, but actually it ties in very closely to what I want to say today as we move on to Romans 14, is that even if we do believe, as many Christians do, that the modern state of Israel is the successor to God's ancient people, this does not give them a free pass to do morally whatever they want with the weak and the powerless. God's view of chosenness throughout the Scripture is not about the loss of accountability, but the adding of accountability. Amos chapter 3 and verses 1 and 2 put it most succinctly. This is what the prophet Amos says. He says, hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. You're my chosen people. I love you. Therefore, and this is quite a jarring contrast. Therefore, I will punish you. I'll hold you more accountable for all your iniquities. So quite a contrast. Chosenness, whatever that may mean, does not mean the loss of accountability. And the Apostle Paul wrestles with this earlier in Romans chapter 6, and there it is in Amos as well. But accountability is essential. And that is a very good lead-in to what I want to say this morning as we move to the 14th chapter of Romans and the passage 
that we read just a few moments ago. This passage is, in fact, a passage which is not about global geopolitics. It is not about what we might deem to be the great issues of life. It's about issues which may seem to us at first to be, in fact, quite insignificant, very small indeed. Matters of food, what we eat, and calendars, what we do with our time. What we should or should not eat, and what days we should count on our calendar as special days, as holy days. So Romans chapter 14, verse 2, some believe in eating anything, while the weak eat only vegetables. Try that one on. And then in verse 5 of chapter 14, Paul adds words about special days. Some judge one day to be better than another, while others judge all days to be alike. And what I need to say about these verses right off the bat is this, that for some of us, and in some parts of the Christian church, these questions about food and calendars and schedules may seem to be, well, really quite irrelevant and out of date. Though in certain parts of Christianity to this very day, these questions actually are really quite important, especially in what we might call the high churches, the churches with uh, a high church liturgy, such as Catholics or Episcopalians or Orthodox and perhaps some Lutherans. Uh, remember, only fish on Fridays, what you eat on certain days, is important, or at least used to be until recently. And all kinds of saints' days to be honored and remembered. Holy days, from which we get our word holiday, holy days to remember and to observe. But generally, amongst Protestants and Presbyterians in particular, these things, especially when it comes to matters of food, what we eat, are often deemed to be, religiously speaking at least, irrelevant, not really a great part of the religious landscape at all. Though what I do need to remind you of, for those of you who are true blood Presbyterians and those who are joining the Presbyterian fold, is that until 50 years ago, there was one day, more than any other day, that absolutely was deemed to be holy amongst Presbyterians, and that was Sunday, what was deemed to be the Christian Sabbath. When I first came to the United States, some almost 50 years ago now, I was shocked, absolutely shocked at what happened on Sundays here in this country. Supposedly Christian country and sports on the television, professional sports everywhere. It was horrifying. Stores that were open all over the place. This was not how I was raised in the Scotland of the 50s, 60s, and 70s. The late William Barclay, uh, for example, tells a great story from a newspaper report of the battle that raged in Scotland uh, in the 1800s. Now, it wasn't quite as severe in the 1960s and 70s as in this picture here. But going back to the mid-1800s, he tells this great story. The first Sunday train from the city of Glasgow to the city of Edinburgh ran on the 13th of March, 1842. The Presbytery of Glasgow denounced the running of the Sunday trains as a flagrant violation of the law of God as expressed in the fourth commandment, a grievous outrage on the religious feelings of the people of Scotland, a powerful temptation to the careless and indifferent to abandon the public ordinances of grace, and most disastrous to the quiet of the rural parishes along the line of the railways by the introduction into every Sabbath of many of the profligate and dissipated who inhabit the cities of Glasgow and Edinburgh. I used to be amongst the profligate who inhabited the city of Edinburgh. 
Well, I'm clearly not in that same boat today, and I think for good theological reasons, whether it's trains or planes or boats or games. But as uh, you heard, if you were listening and watching last Sunday from one of our youth, even if the Sabbath commandment is only about observing Christian worship on Sunday, and we do all kinds of other things, even if we have that one commitment on a Sunday that we will not shake, we can be mocked, or we can be laughed at, or we can find ourselves out of step with so many other people in our society, and for parents involved with sports for their children, this observance can create, well, massive dilemmas and at times conflicts in our own families as to what we are to do and when we are to do it, our calendars. All of this, in fact, points to the truth, whether we're aware of it or not, that actually our calendars, special events and times and places, are perhaps more important in our lives than at first we might think. These things can add to the complexity of life in a myriad of ways. And we've seen this, haven't we, during COVID? People trying to balance family calendars with school calendars, with sports calendars, with work calendars, and here at the church, construction calendars as well we've had on our minds and on our hearts and still do as we think about the return back to worship here in the church. So the potential for conflict and argument over timetables and calendars and special days is not merely ancient, and not perhaps as insignificant at first we might think, but it's modern and it is never far away from our lives. And the same is actually true when it comes to matters of eating food. The food we eat and the food we don't eat. To begin with, of course, this is only an issue because, well, we have food in abundance and we know that today on our streets here in our city and perhaps especially in Yemen but in other places as well, there are many who are starving, who do not have the food they need. And this is something clearly that we need to pay more attention to. But when we do have it, well, the questions are endless, aren't they? Organic, non-organic, genetically modified, non-GMO, high fat, low fat, sugar-free, high calorie, low calorie, carbs, proteins, red meat, white meat, no meat, vegetarian, vegan, Fast food, slow food, Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, Nutrisystem, Atkins, Paleo, South Beach, and more. On and on and on. And you just need to see the ads on the television or wherever we are to know how important this is to us. In fact, every day of our lives, of course, it's important. And there is no question that it's not only important in a good sense, we need to pay attention to these things, but in the sense that some people can define us by what we do or do not eat, criticize us for what we do or do not eat, and we can become critical of others because of this as well. And sometimes that criticism, well, it amounts to severe judging. Which brings us back to our passage in Romans chapter 14. Listen again at verse 1. Welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Some believe in eating anything while the weak eat only vegetables. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain, and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat. For God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall. 
and they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Some judge, and here we've got a transition from eating to timetables and schedules, some judge one day to be better than another, while others judge all days to be alike. So clearly, among the Christians in the church in Rome, within 25 years or so of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, this age-old problem of looking down on others, separating ourselves out from others, despising and judging others based on such matters as food and timetables, this is a significant issue. And this is life, isn't it? This is where life is lived. We don't just live our lives with the big questions on the news every day, though those may be important, the geopolitical realities of life. But every day we live our lives on this humdrum kind of a level with quotidian matters imposing on us from left, right, and center. And we live our lives along with those with whom on these matters and on others, well, we differ. We differ. And in Romans 14, Paul not only points to this particular problem, but thankfully, he also points to some of the solutions as well, or the thoughts that we are to carry in our hearts and in our minds as we wrestle with these everyday realities of life. This morning, I just want to focus on a couple of principles that Paul shares with us in the midst of these realities. And next week, we'll talk about some more as well. But this week, what I want us to do is to tie in what Paul says in Romans 14 with what our Lord Jesus teaches in the Gospels. So listen again to words which to many of you may be familiar from Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says this. He says, Do not judge, so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you seek the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, Let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite! First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. And then a less familiar verse in John chapter 7, do not judge by appearances, but judge, says Jesus, with right or with righteous judgment. All of this is to say that when Jesus says do not judge, he is not, he is not saying that we are not to be discerning. He is not saying that we are to be naive. He is not saying that we are never to have a strong opinion, or never to correct someone else. Otherwise, there'd be no such thing as coaching or mentoring or teaching in an academic institution. There has to be some element of judging that is involved there or discerning that is involved there in order for us to improve. Rather, what Jesus is saying is this, that before we lash out at someone, or even before we say anything that is critical, go slow. I mean, go really slow. Take care of yourself first, and remember, remember, first thing, that you are not the ultimate judge. We are not the ultimate judge. No, there is another, though, who is the judge. That's the first thing we need to remember before we judge others, that we ourselves will one day stand before God, the judge. 
Jesus says this clearly when he says, with the judgment you make, you will be judged. By whom? Well, by God. And in Romans 14, Paul puts it like this in verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall, just as we will. We will stand one day before the Lord. And then in verses 10 through 12, why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each of us will be accountable to God. In other words, even though we live within the grace and the mercy that Paul has expounded in the earlier chapters of Romans marvelously and wonderfully, and we know that our God is a God of grace, he never ceases to be a judge who holds us accountable and before whom we are to give an account for our lives. He will come again to judge the quick and the dead. Who? The one who died for us. We know that there is mercy there. But nevertheless, God through Jesus remains a judge. I don't know if you've ever heard of the interview that former President Jimmy Carter had with Admiral Rickover of the U.S. Nuclear Navy when uh, Jimmy Carter just finished at Annapolis. Admiral Rickover determined the destiny of many a young person, perhaps thousands, who wanted to enter the nuclear navy, and he watched uh, like a dog, like a hawk, like a, a judge as to who got in or who didn't. Apparently, in the interview, he asked uh, Mr. Carter, have you always done your best? And you may imagine Mr. Carter thinking about this. And because he's honest and because there's this uh, Christian humility within him, he thought about his weaknesses and his failures, and he replied, no, sir, I have not. To which Admiral Rickover, the judge, turned to him at that moment and responded, why not? Why not? An awesome moment, scary moment, but a real moment. I used to think when I was a student that the doctrine of judgment was one that I'd actually like to throw out, didn't like it at all, as if God the judge would oh, maybe make a mistake that somebody would get 49% and that's it for the, the rest of all of eternity. I've actually changed my mind since then. I don't think God does make mistakes, and I believe that whatever judgment there is will be filled with incredible mercy to our Lord Jesus Christ. But now, it's not just as if I put up with this. I believe that the doctrine is absolutely essential for life. That the doctrine of judgment is actually about not our insignificance or about any desire of God to condemn us, but it's about God desiring to treat our lives as significant. We hold to account those we deem to be significant. And that's what Admiral Rickover did. He wanted the best. Even though it was intimidating, he wanted the best. And because we are precious, God will one day give each one of us the time of day. Ah, God's time. God the judge will give us the time of day and ask us, what have you done? As a parent might ask, what have you done with the precious time that I have given to you in the one life that is yours? So we need to remember this before we launch into others, that we ourselves are accountable. We are never the ultimate judge, no matter how powerful we become. And this knowledge is a call from God to, well, just at least slow down. 
when there's something out there that bothers us in someone with whom we disagree. So I think it's fair to say that Paul and Jesus don't just stop there when it comes to why we should slow down. In fact, they actually have an interest in our effectiveness. If, in fact, we are going to say something, how are we going to be sure that what we say will actually lead to positive change, to something good happening out of what we might say? And they would say to us, if you're going to be effective, you've got to deal with yourself first. You've got to look deep within yourself first before you ever utter a word to anybody else about their lives. Remember Matthew 7? First, take the log out of your own eye, and then, says Jesus, you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. There may be a time to do that, but don't ever do it until you deal with yourself first. And the Apostle Paul puts it like this in Romans 14, when it comes to food and calendars. Let all be fully convinced in their own minds. We don't live to ourselves. We don't die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Are we? We need to be asking that question. The faith that you have, have as your own conviction before God. Blessed, he says, are those who have no reason to condemn themselves because of what they approve. But those who have doubts are condemned if they eat because they do not act from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. In other words, before we talk to others, have we brought our lives, our whole lives, before God in prayer? And is, in fact, Jesus our Lord? Is this the basis from which we are speaking? Lord, am I truly yours? Is this what's motivating me here? Do I really want the best in another? And will you give me an assurance deep in my soul, that what I am saying does not spring from any arrogance, but from having sorted this out with you. Many hundreds of years ago, now back in the 1300s, a great saint called Thomas Akempis put it like this. He said, first, keep peace with yourself. Then you will be able to bring peace to others. But the disturbed and discontented spirit is upset by many a suspicion. He neither rests himself nor permits others to do so. He is concerned with the duties of others, but neglects his own. Direct your zeal, therefore, first upon yourself. Then you may with justice exercise it upon those about you. And in more modern times, Parker Palmer adds this. He says, a leader is a person who must take the responsibility for what is going on inside his or her own self or consciousness, lest the act of leadership create more harm than good. You've got to take control of what's in here. You've got to lift it up to God in prayer, says the Apostle Paul, so that Jesus is your Lord, and only then your act, if it is a true act of leadership, will do more good than harm. Complicated world out there, both in the big stuff and in the small stuff which may, in fact, in the end, not be that small part and parcel of life, perhaps every single day of our lives, whether it's about timetables or whether it's about the things that we eat or a hundred other things. But remember this. Remember this. Slow down. Slow down when everything in us says, I want to respond to what is happening out there. We too have a judge. 
we too have a judge, a gracious judge, but nevertheless, an awesome judge. The one who adores us will hold us to account because we are precious. And to be effective, we've got to deal with the inside first. We need to ask, are we speaking out of our own inner peace or out of our own inner turmoil? How we answer these questions makes all the difference in the world. Let's pray. Almighty God, we do bow before you. We perhaps don't like the idea of judgment, and yet there are times in which we know of children coming to talk to parents and saying, look at what I've done. We pray that there would be a joyful moment that lies ahead of us in which, empowered by your Spirit, we can say this too, not because of pride, but out of joy. But help us to live our lives as those who are accountable to you and therefore significant. And help us to be patient with those around about us in all the daily issues of life. For you are patient with us. Hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.